When human rights violations take place, victims are stripped of their dignity, but we rarely talk about it. It's time to have open and honest conversations and get down to the basics. This is a stripped down podcast. Okay, Bev, I hear you have issues. <laughs> Which issues do you have this week? I have many, I have many issues, but this one, <laughs> you know, maybe it'll be considered a drag, but you know what? Drag, drag live once. Drag it, friend, drag it. <laughs> I can't drag it because it's my job. <laughs> so, but this week I have issues with organizations that push for certain like causes. Yeah. But they don't protest. <laughs> so it's like kind of lukewarm. It's like, yay equal rights but you're not necessarily doing the legwork to you know yeah to further and so i think sometimes like you know towing the line and coloring in in within the lines it works but it also works to the detriment of these organizations so you know just just say it with your chest that's <laughs> just say it with your chest I just say it and that's that's what I have issues with this week. Yeah. What about you? What are you done with? I'm done with people in denial. It is acting me when people are in denial. Like you know those people who are like, all lives matter. I'm like, fam, fam. You know, by by saying that you're choosing to ignore and 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 you're aiding the ignorance that the systemic issue exists. Like, oh, like language matters. You know. I'm not saying that white lives don't matter. I'm just saying that in this moment, there's a systemic problem. That's why we're saying black lives matter. Why are you in denial? Just like as in, yeah, you're stopped and steady. <laughs> in this episode, we had a chance to have a stripped down conversation with Amnesty Kenya's executive director, Irungu Houghton on how in the current context of everything that's going on, we can do better and what it actually means to be an Amnesty Kenya member. Let's just start with who are you? <laughs> to just introduce yourself. My name, my name is Irungo Houghton. I'm the executive director of Amnesty International Kenya. Mm-hmm. And Bev has always wanted to ask this question. What does an executive director actually do? Actually, an executive director's role um, to many people would be, would be deeply disappointing. It, there is a sense, uh, if you follow Amnesty through the press, our social media, you, you have the sense of uh, every moment matters, everything is exhilarating. Um, we're talking truth to power, we're uh, trying to catch bad guys, but actually 60 to 70% of my time is just managerial. It's really thinking about you know, resources for the staff, it's thinking about uh, protection and safety, particularly during this time of COVID-19. And it's also about um, you know, making sure that the staff show up every day uh, as leaders for this country. Oh, fantastic. Um, so 
you ask newbies this you're known to ask newbies this um a lot <laughs> but we get to ask you this time um what was your rosa parks moment and maybe you can sort of go into why you ask that question yeah i mean, I, I really have it that you know working for amnesty volunteering for amnesty being a member of amnesty is an opportunity for you and i to to serve the the greater interest the public interest and you know when um, we think of the great people in history, uh, the Rosa Parks, the Muhammad Ali's, the Wangari Madai's, um, we usually see them as these super humans, these superheroes that took action in particular moments, not recognizing that actually even the gods of Greece were mortals uh, until they did miraculous things. Um, and then we began to look at them as, as somehow superhuman. So a Rosa Parks moment is really a moment when, you know, uh, this, uh, elderly um, paralegal decided that you know she'd had enough and that she was going to sit at the back of the bus and that that was all that was going to happen. Um, it's the same moment that Muhammad Ali had at the age of 12 when you know somebody stole his red bicycle and uh, he walked to the police station and he declared that he was going to whoop the uh, person that had stolen his bicycle and the police officer looked at him and said to him you know you don't look big enough uh, to whoop anything um, why don't I teach you to box? So this white police officer, um, you know, took, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, then Cassius Clay under his arm, you know, and said, you know, I will teach you to box. And I imagine that a Pan-Africanist, um, you know, black pride advocate um, and a heavyweight champion of the world was actually introduced to boxing by a white police officer um, who really felt, um, you know, compassionate that he had lost his bicycle at the age of 12. And I think the same thing could be said of Wangari Madai, you know, her Rosa Parks moment was Uhuru Park in 1991. Mine was, um, and there are several, but the one that I think most uh, people remember me for was that early morning, uh, Monday morning uh, on uh, the 19th of January in 2015, when I walked onto the playground of the Langata Road Primary School um, to essentially support uh, students and their parents and teachers to reclaim uh, their playground uh, after it had been grabbed over a Christmas break. And that that moment really redefined who I was uh, for myself, for my family, and also for the country. Okay. <laughs> oh, the person editing this will just be like, oh my gosh, Irungu should just be <laughs> the person <laughs> you <have> to <laughs> yes. well, The pressure of two things happening on either side. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the next question is about amnesty. So just talk to us about when you learned of amnesty and how long you've been a member. Yeah, I have a 30 year, um, you know, uh, love affair with Amnesty. I, I came across Amnesty when I was a student in the University of London. Um, I um, read their reports, particularly on Kenya. Um, I got to learn the words um, prisoners of conscience from Amnesty. I got to uh, fundraise and support um, prisoners of conscience, including um, Paddy Onyango and others to get scholarships um, through the University of London system. Uh, when they were um, arrested on the basis of their political views in 1980, 1986, 1987. Um, and that was my first contact with Amnesty. But over the years, um, you know, I, I continued to have a good relationship with them. In the 90s, I was involved um, as a trainer for Amnesty um, International and the Kenya Human Rights Commission and others as they began to expand the, um, the role of human rights defenders, not just, uh, you know, from the legal fraternity or the legal profession, but really you know, among journalists, among priests and uh, uh, Catholic um, 
fathers. So I have a long history with Amnesty that goes way back um, over 30, you know, 30 years or three decades. I also uh, was involved in writing their Africa strategy um, in 2010, um, as I took a sabbatical from another organization that I was working with. So Amnesty has really been part of my life for 30 years. I became a member um, much later. I became a member really, I think it was in 2016, I believe. Um, and I was sitting at my desk, I was having lunch, um, it wasn't a very exciting sandwich, and somebody tweeted at me and said, Irungu, would you like to become an Amnesty member uh, in Kenya? And I was surprised um, that there was membership, and secondly, that I, it would be so easy to do that. So I sent an M-Pesa uh, payment, and I became a member. Wow, fantastic. Um... How can Amnesty appeal to supporters or members interested in a more radical approach to ending human rights violations? So I think Amnesty has, um, you know, has to has to create a value proposition um, for all Kenyans um, uh, that we are uh, we are committed to getting results in the area of human rights protection. That our strategy, our way of working, actually does protect people, um, whether it be people who are detained for failure to pay hospital bills or whether it be um, uh, citizens beaten um, to a pulp during a curfew. Um, and therefore, I think the first area is really results that if by becoming a member, by supporting us, um, we do keep people safe and we do protect people against, um, and, you know, discrimination and violence. And I think that's the first thing. The second thing really is that we do have a proposition that is a lawful, that it is embedded in the Constitution of Kenya, and in particular, Chapter 4 of our Constitution, which is the Bill of Rights, and that those rights and freedoms are not uh, only for people who are powerful and privileged, but they are for all people, and particularly those who are vulnerable um, to the misuse of state power, but even the misuse of, of uh, civilian power. Um, and I think that, you know, is a radical approach. It is a radical approach because it starts off by arguing that, you know, we're not against anything. We're actually for um, safety, dignity, and human rights. And secondly, it, is, it also says that we will not... Um, will never discriminate against um, uh, individuals or communities on the basis of these rights. I think they are universal, they're indivisible, which means that they cannot be separated out. Um, the, the, gay, uh, you know, uh, the gay person that, has, um, that is being discriminated on the basis of housing, um, the, the woman that needs uh, access to safe uh, abortion and um, reproductive health services, the, um, uh, the person, the criminal who has been stopped by police officers in the streets. Um, those, you know, these are all people who may not be popular in the, um, among the majority of Kenyans, but they are entitled to the same rights and freedoms as the majority of themselves. And I think the first thing we say to Kenyans is that, you know, if you enjoy freedoms, if you enjoy uh, your rights, then you have an obligation to allow others to also enjoy those rights and freedoms in the same way. Right, and um, NGOs sometimes play a role in upholding systems that are the cause of oppression for many communities. How does our work at Amnesty subvert that and help achieve a world where there are no human rights violations? So, so Amnesty is, you know, continues to learn from what is effective human rights protection and what is effective um, human rights promotion and public awareness raising. Um, and we, you know, we, we, we have understood that, you know, for example, appealing to foreign donors or foreign governments to come and sort out human rights problems, that that doesn't work. 
that the only thing that does work is building an, a domestic accountability um, muscle that says that you know Kenyans must protect other Kenyans. Um, we also know that um, relying on uh, development assistance for our work um, doesn't work. And you know, for Amnesty, we uh, pride ourselves on the fact that we do not take um, government funding uh, or intergovernment funding for anything more than human rights uh, promotion work. We don't take it for our campaigns. We don't take it for advocacy. And, and in doing that, um, we are, you know, insulated from any political influence um, that might come through funding. We primarily rely on members um, and supporters uh, to give us funding for our work. And in that sense, Amnesty is, is unique in, in a world in which many NGOs are reliant on um, donors, uh, particularly foreign uh, development uh, partners, to be able to, to do their work. And I think that's the, those, are, those are two key areas. I think the third one really is being bold and audacious, um, that we, we, we mustn't ever become frightened um, of, you know, uh, losing favor with governments. We mustn't ever be frightened of speaking truth to power. We mustn't ever be frightened of um, siding with um, communities or individuals, even when they are unpopular with the majority. That is, you know, how human rights has been built over the last, you know, uh, 100 years or more. Um, and that's how it will be built in future. Yeah. So, Ingo, at the time of recording this, there's a lot happening. Um, um, I don't want to go into details into what exactly is happening, but there's it's been an interesting year, you know, um, with a pandemic, with you know the curfew and the violations that came with that. Um, and I do believe that this is a moment where we're in amnesty, right? We're in a moment where we can engage people to be our members and supporters, and people who want to. Um, further the human rights agenda in this country. What's one thing that's exciting you about this moment? Um, and what should we look out for? I mean, no, no doubt, you know, COVID-19 has threatened um, the right to life. It has threatened our public health. Um, it stalks us, particularly the, the older among us and those that have, um, you know, pre-existing health conditions. And primarily that will be uh, people who don't have access to health insurance, don't have access to health, um, good food and nutrition. Um, so it has been a very dangerous moment, I think, not just for Kenya, for the globe, but the inside of every crisis, there is an opportunity. And that opportunity for us has been really the um, high number of people who have become interested in Amnesty's work, who realize that actually when homes are demolished in places like um, uh, you know, Dandora and, and, and Kariobangi North, that this can happen anywhere in the Republic and that people, um, particularly in a moment of pandemic, must be protected and they must be, you know, given the right to a home and the right to uh, adequate housing. So I think there have been a number of important developments over this period. And just in terms of results, you know, we've seen our membership, you know, uh, quadruple in the last one year. And um, people are essentially saying, you know, we don't just want to be members, we want to take action. Give us the tools, give us the space, give us the knowledge on how we can protect our communities against human rights uh, violations, not just from the state, but from businesses and also from uh, other people in our community. And I think that's the biggest um, opportunity that I've seen during this period. The, third, the second one really is that, you know, the state has been responsive to public will um, and public opinion. 
we have seen on a number of occasions government um, you know programs or government initiatives that um, placed people placed people at more risk uh, or at more harm um, you know or in harm's way that they have actually taken actions to rectify that we saw for example public outcry at the condition of people going into mandatory quarantine centers and then what did we see you know government having to backtrack and say that from now on government will uh, pay the costs or rather not even government but taxes will be used to pay the costs of people in mandatory quarantine but i think the the that example also gives us another example that when we um we go to sleep again as a as a as a, as a country um you know government uh, gets distracted uh, we've seen this now in the um uh, kemsa related uh, corruption scandals that when the public is not vigilant when the press is muzzled when information is hidden um the uh, coronapreneurs as they're now called uh, or the prof you know the pandemic profiteers they will step in and essentially rip this country um to pieces for their private interests yeah i think um during one of our human rights education training um we had martha karua speak and she called it eternal vigilance you know mm. that we all need to be on our toes and we all need to be looking out for these issues and the more we are truly the more we can keep eternally eternally vigilant so I mean, it's it's a great point i think martha was was spot on um eternal vigilance is you know is really the uh, is the only protection we have um for our democracy for a society that believes in human rights and actually is a match for our constitution and that's why in the constitution article 31 essentially obligates every citizen and every government agency um to essentially protect and promote our human rights it's actually a constitutional obligation upon us as citizens to do this this is the first strip down episode that we're we're airing um and we wanted to start with you because you often you know bang on about this all the time in our staff meetings um why we should be members why we need to build more support for the movement so what's one thing you want someone listening to this conversation to take away or what point of action would you like the, would you like to stir them to active citizenship is not only a ethical um uh, imperative it is a constitutional obligation we will not have the country that keeps us safe that keeps us inspired and keeps us um able to progress developmentally um unless we are all engaged and membership associations are the best way of doing this um because we cannot do this um either with a small number of human rights organizations or a small number of civilians uh, or citizens what we require is a national movement of citizens that is standing for the national values in our constitution is able to protect um principles around equality non-discrimination or anti-discrimination and also the integrity uh, that comes with leadership um to ensure that we do not have wealth produced in this country and then it is siphoned um to a very few um uh, people so i think active citizenship is the key and perhaps to quote um martha karua eternal vigilance Did you know that Amnesty International Kenya is a membership organization? That means our work is entirely driven by you. Check out the description below to find our social media handles, links to what we are jamming to this week, and how you can become a member. We are waiting for you. Ciao.